Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the Song of Songs, which is Solomon and cha- which is Solomon's in chapter three. Song of Songs, chapter three. As we've noted, that this is, of course, a song that is about married love and ultimately about the love of the church and Christ. It's also notable that once again here the entire chapter is sung by the woman who is thinking about her beloved. So Song of Songs chapter 3. By night on my bed I sought the one I love. I sought him but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, By the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Who is this coming out of the wilderness, like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchants' fragrant powders? Behold, it is Solomon's couch, with sixty valiant men around it, of all the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh, because of fear in the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palanquin. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. May God bless the reading of his holy word. We've noted already that the Song of Solomon is a series of pictures. There have been various efforts to try to construct some sort of narrative out of the pictures, but really none of them have been successful. It's better instead to say this is a series of pictures that depict aspects to do with married love. And we may title this particular chapter, chapter 3, The Trial and the Triumph. Of love, we see first of all that there is a trial. The the lover seeks her beloved; she cannot find him. And then there is the the triumph from verse six. There is the great bridal procession here. It's best to see this as a, a bridal procession. The trial then and the triumph of love. It has been said the course of true love never did run smooth. There are trials and difficulties. It is indeed eventually happy ever after, but it's getting to that point. There are many ups and downs, many trials and troubles. And we have here, first of all, this trial. Now, some commentators have seen this as almost a sort of dream sequence that we're to think of the Shulamite being asleep in fact on when she says by night on my bed I sought the one I love that she is asleep and she has this anxious dream that he has 
disappeared and cannot be found. Now whether it's to be seen as an anxious dream or as a, a picture of her longing to be with him, well that's a question of interpretation. But there is here this longing and this difficulty by night on my bed I sought. And the picture here is I continued to seek the one I love. I sought him but I did not find him. There is a longing here, a longing to be with him, and at the same time a feeling that he is absent, that he is far away. Now we've noted that married love ultimately points to this great mystery, as Paul says, of Christ and the church. And we must be careful about too much transferring the, the church to the individual believer. And yet there is this sense in which the individual believer shares in this longing, in this desire. So, for example, Psalm 42. Psalm 42 begins with that great declaration, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar, deep calls unto deep, but the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his son will be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And so there is here both that that longing, that feeling of absence, but also there is that great faith, that trust. I will say, I shall yet praise, but I cannot be satisfied with his being afar off. I cannot be satisfied with anything but the knowledge of his presence with me. And so again, King David says in Psalm 63, in the wilderness of Judah, he prayed, O God, you are my God early, will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you thus. I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in my night watches. I meditate upon you. His his thoughts, he says, were for God just as the Shulamite's thoughts are toward her beloved. I sought him but did not find him. And then we have the picture of that she gets up 
and leaves the house looking for him. She cannot be satisfied until she finds him. It's a striking picture going out there in, of course, this eastern city, the no electric light. The only light will be from the stars and the moon if it's out. A few flickering oil lamps and windows are not going to change anything. But she goes about looking for him. Where is he? She must have him. Her feeling is very much like William Cooper when he speaks in his poem what peaceful hours I once enjoyed how sweet their memories still but they have left an aching void the world can never fill nothing but Christ now none but Christ can satisfy and therefore I must have him I sought him but I did not find him here and there she goes where is her beloved I must have him above all else. The watchman, one of the features of the eastern city would be the night watchman, not quite equivalent to our police, but close enough. They're there to make sure that people are kept safe overnight. And they find her wandering around. They ask, what are you doing? And her response is, have you seen the one I love? She cannot be satisfied without him. Have you seen the one I love? And she speaks in such a way as to say, well, you must know who I'm talking about. Now, some have seen the watchmen as a picture of the Lord's ministers and elders, those who guide and lead believers and whose great work it is indeed to preach Christ to declare the Lord Jesus Christ that the one thing that is necessary in a Christian ministry is Christ whatever the text Christ must be spoken of and the great work indeed of the Christian ministers like John the Baptist to cry behold the Lamb of God behold behold the Lamb but we're also reminded here of an event in the New Testament in the Gospel according to John in chapter 20. John chapter 20, of course, we have this great account of the resurrection appearance of the resurrection appearances of Christ. And John chapter 20, verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Where is my beloved? Where is the one my soul loves? And verse 11, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, 
Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. I found him. I found the one I loved. I held him and would not let him go. Of course, Jesus goes on to tell Mary not to cling to him, not to hold on to him, because he is to ascend to the Father, that she wishes never to let him go. I found the one I loved, I I love, I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. The picture here, I will not let him go until the wedding and then, of course, he will not let me go. I must have him and I must be with him forever. That is the desire of the Christian soul. Now it ebbs and flows. We, we have our ups and our downs. We have our times when we are very conscious of the presence of the Lord and times when we are not conscious and yet we remain with him, trusting him, looking to him, even when we walk in darkness. The ups and downs are there, the trials are there. Why do the trials exist? Well, the trials exist that we may know and be assured that we do love him and he loves us. That we do love him, that we we cannot be satisfied with the things of the world. The trial of love, then, the trial of that desertion that hap- appears to happen sometimes. Now, sometimes the reason why we feel far from God is that we have done what we ought not to have done, and we have not done what we ought to have done. It's very difficult for somebody who is not doing what they should be doing, to feel the presence and the love of God. But sometimes it happens because of things that have nothing to do with sin. Sometimes it happens because the reality is that people get ill and the body and the soul are united and they react on one another. When somebody is physically unwell, they will feel it because of course they will. And it will have an effect upon the soul. There is such a thing as mental illness. There are people who struggle with depression and anxiety. And these are real disorders. And they too can lead to this feeling. One of the great dangers that Christians can fall into with dealing with other people. Is that we end up, we do what Job's comforters did. He said Job's comforters were very, very good at comforting him as long as they kept their mouths shut. As long as they were just with him, and they weren't talking and trying to explain what was going on with Job, they were very, very helpful. And the moment they opened their mouth, they stopped being helpful, and they became a hindrance to him. Because they were absolutely convinced that they knew exactly why Job was suffering, and they did not in fact have a clue as to what was going on. Neither did Job. Job simply knew that he was physically suffering. And again, Job felt God was far off from him. And yet, God was pleased with Job. Job was not under God's displeasure. And if we even venture upon the idea that Job was under God's displeasure, certainly at the beginning of his suffering, we've missed the whole point of the book of Job. God, after all, says that Job did not sin, or that 
Job did not fall into the temptation of the devil to curse God and die. Now when it comes to suffering of other people, we must be very careful. Sometimes it can be obvious, but most of the time it's not. And when it comes to our own trials and difficulties, sometimes it can be, as with David, David in the wilderness of Judea, David the exile, he could not go to the temple, or rather the tabernacle, he could not go to meet with the people of God in Jerusalem, because he was exiled, he was physically unable to go, and it can be a great trial to the Lord's people, when for reasons of illness or other issues, we cannot go to meet with the Lord's people as we would love to do so. It was one of the great trials of the whole COVID period that we were kept from various things, not just from the physical meeting, but also for a longer period from singing and from the Lord's Supper. And these are things that God has given us and we we long to meet with God in his ordinances. We long to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ at his table. But the Lord's people will always come to this point where we shall find him. And it seems at this moment when she had no clue where she would find him, then I found the one I love. He will always return to his people. And so we come secondly to the triumph of love, the great procession. The scene changes completely. Instead of being in the darkness in the city, we are here outside the city. And there is the wilderness. Now our translation quite rightly uses the word wilderness, some use the word desert. It's more or less interchangeable if we understand desert in a broad sense rather than just a sea of sand like the Sahara. There are rocky deserts as well. But the wilderness is the place where there is very little vegetation. It's the place that, where there is no agriculture. The shepherds will trek through the wilderness trying to find pasture, rough pasture. But it's not settled land, it's the wilderness. The wilderness, of course, is what God took the people of Israel through from Egypt to Canaan. And they travelled through the wilderness. The great journey of the Lord's people is a journey through a wilderness. We look on this world and we see something of a wilderness. The world is full of human evil. But who is this coming out of the wilderness? Coming out with what? Perfume with myrrh and frankincense. Like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchants' fragrant powders. Well, the mention of wilderness and pillars of smoke should remind us immediately of the people of Israel in that great journey from Egypt to Canaan. Exodus chapter 13 and verse And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. 
And so there is that picture of the divine presence. The pillar of cloud meant God was with the people. Pillars of smoke. God is with the people. But also we have that these pillars of smoke are perfumed with myrrh and frankincense. With all the merchants' fragrant powders. They are incense. And incense in the Bible is a picture of prayer. Prayer, of course, goes up from the earth to God, pictured as being in heaven. And here we have the Lord's presence and the prayers of the Lord's people. And coming out of the wilderness, the wedding day has come. And here comes the... Now the language suggests that this is not just Solomon, not just the beloved, but also the bride is with him. This is the bride has come to... The bridegroom rather has come to take his bride and now they are travelling to their home together. And they are travelling, we are told, on Solomon's couch. We're to think of something like a sort of sedan chair that you have this couch that is being carried by burly men with staves upon their shoulders like the Ark of the Covenant. And again, the picture is deliberate. The wilderness, the pillar of fire, the sacred burden being born. And on the sacred burden, the Ark, as it were, is not a golden box with the Ten Commandments and other relics in it. Rather, it is a couch, a luxurious couch, Guarded by 60 valiant men with swords, every one ready. Every man had his sword, his sword in his thigh, because of fear in the night. The night, of course, being the time when the enemy is most active, when thieves and murderers ply their trade. And the picture here is of the Lord with his people, defended. The hosts of God encamp around the dwellings of the just. The angels of God encamp around the dwellings of those who fear him. God's angels keep their guard over the Lord's people. And here the bride is with the bridegroom. The couch is also spoken of as a a palanquin, which is of portable enclosed chair it's not not quite like you may have seen in stately homes these sedan chairs which are these um, enclosed boxes that would be carried by porters which I think of something that's a bit longer than a sedan chair which is basically a square box something where they can recline together as they are carried along and it's an enclosed chair as well so it has a, a cover Its pillars are made of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple. All of these are incredibly valuable things. Silver and gold, purple cloth, purple dye was incredibly expensive. It was something that was really reserved for royalty. So the picture here is one of luxury, but then we have the statement, it's interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Now, some translations kind of rationalise this by speakers being having been inlaid lovingly, just to say it's paved with love. 
This is poetry. Let the poetry be poetry. It's a picture that the the interior is an interior that is suitable. It's paved with love. Love surrounds them. The love of the Lord's people for the Lord. It's interior paved with love. And here we have the procession drawing nigh. Some of the description reminds us of some of the language that we find in Psalm 45, for example. Psalm 45 and verse 2. You are fair in the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one. With your glory and your majesty. In your majesty you ride prosperously because of truth, humility and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. King's daughter among your honourable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir, the very finest of gold. And the daughters of Zion are bidden to go forth. Are we not reminded of our Lord's parable of the, the ten virgins? They cry at midnight, go forth. Go forth and greet him. And they go forth to greet him. And what are they to see? They're to see King Solomon crowned. But the crown we're speaking of here is not the crown of the the king upon his throne. It is a festal crown at parties, at feasts, at weddings. Important people would be crowned not with gold or silver, but with flowers, a floral wreath that shows forth the importance and the joy of the one wearing it. Solomon is wearing a crown, but it's the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. It's crying for this is the wedding day. This is the day, the, the glorious day when the king is to be married to his beloved. And it's notable that the the name given to the to the bride here is that of the, the Shulamite, which is Related to the name Solomon. That is to say she is the one who completes him. Just as Eve completed Adam. And there is a sense. Not in the sense that God is in need of anything. But a sense in because of the way that God has ordained things to be. That the church completes Christ. That is why the church is spoken of as his body. And he is the head. Now this is a matter not of necessity but a matter of grace he has graciously chosen this relationship he has graciously declared that he will not be in glory and leave us behind as the old Moravian hymn writer puts it but this I do find we two are so joined he'll not be in glory and leave me behind 
What a wonder it is that he will not be in glory and leave us behind. It is indeed a glorious thing. So it is that in Isaiah Isaiah 62 verse 4, speaking of the Lord's people of Jerusalem, we're reading from verse 6, You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah, that is, my delight is in her, and your land Behulah, married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The wedding day has come. The long waiting is over. The bride and the groom are together and they will never be separated again. What a marvel it is to read of these things. So again we see Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 from verse Five. Then a, a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. I heard, as it were, the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Rejoice and be glad, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And this is the triumph. The triumph that the Shulamite is looking forward to. The triumph of love that, indeed, from heaven he came and sought her. To be his holy bride. And he will be successful. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully successful in all that he does. And it's because he finally is who he is that it is successful. Because the great trial indeed is the trial that he has undertaken in order to purchase his bride with his own precious blood shed upon the cross for us. The day has come. The great wedding day is there. And he is crowned in glory and honour. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Praise him indeed, crown him with many crowns, and the crown he wears, the festal crown of the wedding, is a crown with which he is crowned with honour and glory. King of kings and lord of lords, yes, but also he is the husband of the church, his bride. Christian love, then we see, is tried. There are trials and difficulties and tribulations. There are ups and downs. 
But Christ keeps his people. He keeps us day by day. And therefore there shall be at last that great triumph when he comes again in glory. He's pictured by the Apostle Paul as that great heavenly bridegroom who comes and all his people are caught up to meet him in the air and they keep on coming down. That's the picture, you see. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. And he doesn't then go back out into the wilderness with them then come back seven years later or whatever he comes back or he keeps on coming into the city they're going out to meet him it's not something that there's a great then delay between going out to meet him and him entering the city no he just carries on going into the city and there at last is the great triumph song of the lamb the great wedding supper that has a beginning but in a very real sense, shall never, never cease. And so we look for the triumph of love in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.